0: The very first episode of A History of the King James Bible Podcast was published on the 1st of December 2015. Every episode is available for download at www.ahistoryofthekingjamesbiblepodcast.com The easiest way for you to listen to the podcasts is to use your internet browser, go to the address just given, right-click and save as, or hit the link on each page and it will play in your browser. We now have a new email address, which will be different to that given out during the course of the series you are about to listen to. Our new email address is gkjames1611 at gmail dot com. Gkjames1611. That's G K J A M E S one six one one. Gkjames1611 at gmail dot com. Since the inception of the series it has spread to a number of podcast networks so we need your assistance. So we can get some idea of our reach would you please take the time to write to your host GK at gkjames1611 at gmail.com and tell us you are listening. We understand people downloading an episode is a different thing to someone actually listening. The series is completely free and contains no adverts, So please, if you would like to show your appreciation, write and tell us if you are listening. Your email address won't be used for any marketing of any kind. You will not even receive a reply unless you have a comment or question that needs a reply. This is completely for GK's eyes only. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy learning about the story behind The World's Best Seller.
1: Welcome, friends, to a history of the King James Bible podcast. To find more episodes and information, just go to our website, www.ahistoryofthekingjamesbiblepodcast.com of the King James Now here is GK with the latest episode. Welcome to the very first episode of a history of the King James Bible podcast. The King James Bible is perhaps the most influential book in the history of the English language. Its influence is, in my opinion, near impossible to calculate. Despite the changes and challenges to all societies that we have seen with the coming of the postmodern age, it has made a major impact on the language and culture of the world as we now know it. The intent I have for producing this series is to explore a number of questions about the King James Bible. Who was King James? What was his background? What was the reason for his lifelong, self-avowed, fearful nature? Why was there a need for a new Bible in English? Who translated this new Bible? For me, this is one of the most interesting portions of my inquiry. When I began to look into the lives of the scholars chosen for this new work, I was completely drawn in, and I planned to spend some time examining them. My interest in the translators led me to wonder, what sources did they use? Who was the intended audience of this new Bible? Is this version relevant in the 21st century? The questions go on and on, and as you will see, if you stick with it, these are just a few of the topics I plan to cover. Now at this point, I'm not sure how many episodes this series will entail. The first few episodes will cover the history of the Stuart monarchs, and the life and times of King James himself. Following that, I intend to hit some of the subjects that I have just proposed about the King James Bible itself, and those who translated it. This is somewhat of a personal journey for me, and I hope you enjoy coming along with me as I endeavor to dig into the history behind the most popular book, In History. For as long as I can remember, I've had an interest in history. I understand how some may find the topic boring, but for me, it explains how we, the human race, got to where we are now or i should say it goes some way to explaining that if you keep this in mind you'll understand why my investigation into the king james bible will start way back way way back before little jimmy stewart was born way way back back to the legends and myths did i say way way back wait just before we get to that i need to point out something When researching things of an historical nature, we must do our best to discern between myth, slash legend, and fact. Okay, so now we've established that, let's begin our story. Our story begins within a myth that was made so much more popular, well after the fact. From earlier legend, Shakespeare entertained us with Fleance, a son of Banquo, whose descendants the three witches of Macbeth prophesy were bound to become kings. He and his father are legendary slash fictional figures who were presented as historical in the 16th century, Banquo as the ancestor of the Stuart Kings by escaping Macbeth, and fleeing to Wales where he has a son who becomes a hereditary steward to the kings of Scotland. Let us now turn to a partial rendition of Shakespeare's Macbeth, and for the first time on a History of the King James Bible podcast, let us have some drama. This is Macbeth, Act 1, Scene 3. A heath near forest, and three certain witches.
0: Hail! Hail! Hail, lesser than Macbeth and greater. Not so happy, yet much happier. Thou shalt get, kings, though thou be none. So all hail, Macbeth and Banquo. Banquo,
2: Banquo and, and Macbeth, Macbeth all, all hail. hail.
1: Stay, you imperfect speakers. Tell me more. By Sinel's death I know I am Thane of Glamis. But how of Cordor? The Thane of Cordor lives. A prosperous gentleman. And to be king stands not within the prospect of belief. No more than to be Cordor. Say from whence you owe this strange intelligence, or why upon this blasted heath you stop our way with such prophetic greeting. Speak, I charge you. The earth hath bubbles, as the water has, and these are of them. Whither are they vanished? Into the air, and what seemed corporal melted as breath into the wind. Would they had stayed. Were such things here as we do speak about, or have we eaten on the insane route that takes the reason prisoner? Your children shall be kings. You shall be king. It is a stuff of legend that the ancestors of James the Sixth of Scotland came from Flayance, the son of Banquo. Interesting and even entertaining. But what are the facts? Whence came the Stuart monarchs? The facts here will be as close as we can get to them. We know little to nothing of the Stuarts before the latter part of the 11th century. The Stuarts originated in Brittany, in northwestern France, where they surfaced as stewards, hence the surname, to the Counts of Dole, who in turn served the Duke of Normandy. Indeed, it is the son of one of the Count's stewards who came into the service of King Henry I, and it was his son, Walter, who entered into the service of the Scottish Prince David, the younger son of Malcolm III, King of the Scots, during the mid to late 11th century. Still with me? Good. This Malcolm was a historical source of Shakespeare's Malcolm in Macbeth. When Prince David became King, Walter was appointed his steward. This Walter was Walter Fitzallan, and it was his descendant, the third to occupy the stewardship who adopted the fam- family name Steward or Stuart. We move quickly now to the Scottish Wars of Independence. You know, Mel Gibson, or was it William Wallace? I don't recall, but you know the story, I'm sure. Anyway, one young James Steward fought alongside him against King Edward I, or Longshanks as he was wont to be called. And later, this James Stuart also supported Robert the Bruce. James died in 1309, leaving his son Walter as heir, another Walter Stuart. This Walter fought at the famous Battle of Bannockburn. He was knighted by King Robert the Bruce and given his daughter Marjorie's hand in marriage. So now we begin to see how the Stuarts made it onto the throne to become the kings and a very, very famous queen of the Scots. Marjorie Bruce was Robert's sole legitimate heir. But the crown would not be placed upon her head. It was always going to go to Robert's brother. Nevertheless, due to a riding accident, she died while giving birth to a son called Robert, who in time would be the first Stuart to rise to the throne as Robert II, King of the Scots, from 1316 to 1390. Thus, the House of Stuart would rule in Scotland, and ultimately over Great Britain until the death of Queen Anne in 1714. Just as a bit of a side note, and really for a bit of interest's sake, she was succeeded by her second cousin, George of the House of Hanover, who himself was a descendant of the Stuarts through his grandmother Elizabeth, a daughter of King James VI of the Scots, who also was known as King James I of England without whom I would not be in your headphones for this podcast. The House of Stuart would see two Roberts and five Jameses until the reign of Mary, Queen of Scots. Now, we could skip on to King James VI and beyond that to the book that now bears his name. But I think that would be an injustice to the narrative that I'm forming here because not only is Mary's story interesting, but it's because within her womb that the story really starts. What's that you say? It's obvious that all our stories begin in our mother's womb. True. I agree. But this babe's time in the womb would impact upon him for the rest of his life. And we'll get to that part shortly. I promise. Mary Stuart, or Mary the I of Scotland, or Mary Queen of Scots, ascended to the throne of Scotland when she was less than one week old, following the death of her father, King James V. Until I began my research for this project... I didn't realise how fascinating Mary's life was. I mean, I knew a bit, enough to take my children to a little museum just north of Brisbane to see one of her shoes. Yes, one lone shoe belonging to Mary, Queen of Scots. I wonder what happened to the other shoe. I've always wondered that. Raised in France, while Scotland was ruled by regents, Mary eventually married the Dauphin of France and was Queen Consort of France for a very short time. Dauphin, I've long looked for an excuse to use the term and pronounce it like that ever since I heard John Malkovich pronounce it that way in the moving picture film The Messenger, the story of Joan of Arc. That was a while ago, so I hope I've got the correct reference. Maybe it was the Libertine with Johnny Depp. Anybody know? If you know, write me and let me know, please. Anyhow, after the death of her husband, Francis II of France, Mary returned to Scotland in 1561, a nation riven by the turmoil of the Reformation. This was not the only issue Mary would face. There was a question of a husband. Surely a woman couldn't, nay shouldn't, rule on her own. Should she? This was an issue that the nobility of Scotland dealt with, and it's probably correct to say that Mary was keen to marry anyway, so as to produce an heir. It's interesting to note that her cousin, Queen Elizabeth the I of England, or Lizzie, as I endearingly like to call her, remained unwed, or as she claimed, she was married to her country, proving that a woman could rule without the aid of a husband. Anyhow, Mary's eye eventually settled at upon a tall, handsome man named Henry Stewart, or Lord Darnley. And we're going to go with the name Darnley for the sake of this episode. Darnley was a cousin to both queens, and he and Mary were soon married. It was to be a tumultuous time for Mary, Darnley, and Scotland. But it would be a union that would bring forth the namesake of this series, and indeed the Bible that this series is based upon. The History of the King James Bible Podcast is brought to you by Like Flint Radio can find them on the
2: web at www.likeflintradio.com. That's
1: www.likeflintradio.com. Now, let's return to a history of the King James Bible Podcast with your host, GK. For more reports, Mary was well and truly in love with Darnley, and they were married on the 29th of July, 1565. But it wasn't long before there were major issues with the marriage the least not being the fact that Darnley wanted to be more than the king consort. He wanted the crown matrimonial, which would give him the right to rule should he outlive Mary. Mary was having no part of this. To make matters worse, Darnley had become jealous of her relationship with her private secretary, David Riccio, or Rizzio. Rizzio, a talented musician and singer who despite reports that he was not in the least bit attractive, caught the Queen's eye. He was an Italian who had made his way to Scotland via France and it was said that she preferred his company more than that of her husband's and even that Signor Davy had access to the Queen's bedchamber. His demise would not be long in coming, but it was not for the reason of jealousy alone. To blunt her husband's spending, Mary had it so that all papers he would write had to be signed by her and... And then by him. But she had a seal made with Darnley's signature and handed it to Signor Davy. Bad move, Queenie. Bad move. A plot was soon hatched to rid Scotland of Signor Davy. The plotters each had their own agendas, and they're and their many, wide, varied, and way too deep to go into here. But I think there may be space to argue that Darnley provo- was provoked by them for their own means. Nevertheless, On the evening of 9th of March 1566, while Mary was having supper with Rizzio and her half-sister Janet in a little room just to the side of her bedchamber, her husband appeared, making nervous small talk. He was apparently so nervous that it stood out to the others. Suddenly, one Lord Ruffin burst in, accompanied by half a dozen men in full armour with swords drawn. Rizzio knew why they were there and he moved behind Mary, and he clasped his hand around her pregnant tummy. Oh, did I tell you she was now well pregnant with the king's child? A gold star for everyone who can guess who the baby in Mary's womb was. Anybody? Okay, I'm sorry for that one. Anyway, Rizzio assumed his best chance of remaining alive was to cling to the queen's belly. Little did he know that Darnley would have wanted her to miscarry since he was suspicious the baby was not his. Mary refused to let go of Rizzio until one of the conspirators put a loaded pistol to her chest. After a struggle, Rizzio was removed from the room and taken next door where where others involved in the plot waited and he was basically butchered there, having sustained 53 stab wounds, including one from Mary's husband, the King, Lord Darnley. Upon hearing of Rizzio's death, Mary dried her eyes and plotted her revenge. Events moved rather quickly from this point. With Mary under house arrest, Darnley and his conspirators prepared to govern Scotland. During these machinations, though, Darnley had a change of heart. He must have realised that his position was precarious at best. If these blokes were prepared to put a pistol to the chest of the Queen... Perhaps they would soon turn on him. So he threw himself at the mercy of Mary, and the two decided to escape. During this escape on horseback, Mary was said to have reminded Darnley that she was pregnant, to which he replied, Come on, in God's name, come on. If this baby dies, we can have more. It kind of gives an indication to the man's character. Overnight, they completed their 30-mile escape ride. Shortly after this, Mary gathered her forces and wrested control back from the conspirators. After these events, and despite the fact that Mary and her husband appeared in public together, rumours were abroad that things weren't working out down on the farm, or should I say in the royal bedroom. It was said that she had approached Rome about an annulment, but thought better of it as it may bring into question the the legitimacy of their child. Trust between Mary and Darnley was stretched, to say the least. Nevertheless, a baby was due to arrive soon, and she wrote to her cousin, Queen Elizabeth I, and asked her to be the child's godmother. In her letter, she wrote, Excuse me if I write so bad, because I am so gross, gross as in fat, being well into my seventh month. On the 3rd of June, she entered her lying-in chamber, in preparation for the birth. She appointed regents and prepared her will in case the worst was to happen, a very important portion of which stated that if Mary died and the baby lived, it would be the sole inheritor. She also left a ring to her husband, the one with which she had been wed to him. A nice touch and more evidence for me of their topsy-turvy relationship. On the 19th of June, 1566, shortly after 9am, after a long labour, Mary delivered a baby boy. When the news was announced, bonfires were lit and artillery was fired. When the king came to visit his wife and the new son, Mary made it quite clear to all present that the ban was his and belonged to no other. There was to be no question about her fidelity. She said, My Lord, here I protest to God, and as I shall answer to him at the great day of judgment, this is your son and no other man's son. And I am desirous that all here, both ladies and others, bear witness, for he is so much your own son, that I fear it be the worse for him hereafter. To Sir William Stanley, an Englishman who was present, she said, This is the son whom, I hope, shall first unite the two kingdoms of Scotland and England. When he asked why, she replied loud enough for all to hear, Because his father has broken to me it was at this point that the subject of the murder of rizzio was raised again between the king and the queen and she made it clear that while she may have forgiven she would not forget it seems to me that Mary and darnley's relationship was at times close and at other times distant i can't help but wonder if she was struggling to forgive hoping the marriage might work but she couldn't get past the murder of rizzio Perhaps there was more to the relationship than this major event. Indeed, it was reported that Darnley was vain, conceited, cowardly and treacherous. And what of the rumours that Mary had been unfaithful? Further trouble was brewing, and indeed more was to come of it. But at this point, the young prince was reported to be in good health. Elizabeth's ambassador reported that the babe was sucking of his wet nurse and was, to his assessment, well proportioned, and like to prove a godly prince. This has been a short episode for our first one. The next one won't be as short as there's much more to come. So join us next time as we explore the childhood of James, the godly prince. If you'd like to learn more about this episode, go to our website, ahistoryofthekingjamesbiblepodcast.com. There you'll find reference to the works reviewed in the production of this series. You will also see any relevant graphics and also find credits to those who have helped us in the production of this series. If you'd like to contact me, you can email me at gk at likeflintradio.com. A History of the King James Bible Podcast is brought to you by likeflintradio.com. So visit our sister website, www.likeflintradio.com. Okay, so that's it for now, and until the next episode, God bless and hooroo.